who's ready for a cup of context. Hi, welcome to Keenum in Context. This is Morning Cup of Context, and I'm Sean Griffin. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to be talking about Ezekiel's Wheels, very controversial passage. It is uh, highly debated throughout the years, and after studying the the content to make this video, I I understand why abundantly because there the ways that people come to conclusions on these passages here in Ezekiel um, lead them into all different types. Uh, both secular and Christian, you know, different types of conclusions that, but as the more I studied it, um, I realized it's not as simple as just, you know, untying a ball of yarn, right? In fact, <laughs> as I initially started studying the information to try to break it down, I realized it was a little bit more convoluted and is a little bit more difficult. So, but it's not impossible. And what I'm talking about is from my perspective as someone that's trying to present information to others for them to learn, I realized that this process here and making it as clear as possible uh, with connecting the bots, connecting the dots as clearly as possible for you to pick up and run with it, understand in a first viewing, that was the greatest challenge. And that's why this particular, the presentation of this video took longer than any other video I've ever made. So, most people are already aware of Ezekiel's wheels and the the general premise or idea that is that is propagated off of the teaching of Ezekiel's wheels, and we're actually going to look and see some of the imagery that you're seeing on the screen right now. These are different depictions people have made from Ezekiel chapter one and chapter ten, and this is different artist renditions over the years of what they think it's describing. And there's been secular engineers that have tried to say that it even describes spaceships, right? And this is where you get uh, unique concepts like this in movies, very famous movies. This is a movie from 1997. This is the movie Contact. And in the movie, aliens had sent through radio transmission a schematics to make this machine you're seeing, this wheel within the wheel that's spinning. And it was the conclusion, the climax of this movie is that once they got this thing built from these schematics sent through space that they were able to build this and it had incredible power in fact it's just you know a form of kabbalah um, which is trying to get you into an idea of gnostic different dimensional realms and once they activate this and use the will then it takes her to another dimension where she sees angelic like beings and that's what's interesting is because it's it's uh it's kind of like the conclusion that the secular world and specifically Hollywood takes with this idea, they create this image that you're seeing on this, on the screen, and then it leads to angels. And so that's, <laughs> or some, or their representation, their, their very vague version of angels. And uh, you just have to go see that old movie and see the end of it and see what happens. But it's, it's, it was a highly controversial movie when it came out because the whole thing doubted the existence of God. And the whole thing was trying to pull people away from truly a creator uh, that loves us and that that wants to interact with us. And the, the ending of the movie just basically made it feel like we don't know the, who created all this and where we are and who, who we've never met the creator. And it's, it's, um, it's pretty depressing to be honest with you. It's not, uh, it's not a movie that they built to, to building one's faith. It, it was built to denigrate faith over the years. You have this concept that has grown a lot of steam since the early two thousands. And it's this unique show 
on History Channel called Ancient Aliens, where they literally take passages of scripture way, way out of context, and they take uh, very biased looks at archaeological artifacts, and they create a narrative about, you know, are angels possibly just ETs, right? Are they just aliens that have come to visit us over time? And the Bible was just trying to describe it from their perspective and their sense of understanding. But really, we know what it is now. It was really just angels. Or angels were really just aliens. And so therefore, you know, this is the whole narrative. Of, I think they're on, you know, like the 12th or 13th season or something like this. It's re reinforced and re-impeded every single episode that uh, the Bible is untrue and that angels aren't real and that simply it's just we, they didn't understand back in the day they were, they were watching advanced alien craft and so this is the narrative that the history channel promotes through ancient aliens and it's very deceptive and not just because of the agenda they're pushing but because they're literally ignoring the words in the book and they're creating their own story so it's very biased but what we're going to do is we're going to look at the actual words in the book what does the actual bible say does is Ezekiel 1 truly describing a, an incredible machine that could take you to different dimensions? Is Ezekiel 1 describing uh, a old school description of actual, you know, spacecraft, right, from, <laughs> from outer space? Is, from the Christian perspective, is Ezekiel 1 describing a bunch of wheels that are next to these angels, these living creatures? Let's actually look at the text and see what it says, and let's do our best to keep it in context. Ezekiel chapter 1, 15 through 21. Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without turning. As they moved, excuse me, without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Whenever, wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close beside them. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever these, excuse me, whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever these, excuse me, and whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So what's interesting is that this is um, the bulk of the most controversial passage. Now we're going to go over some, some uh, scripture from chapter 8 and chapter 10 of Ezekiel as well, but this is what we're going to look at first and foremost here because we want to break down this actual passage and see these particular words that I read, okay? These words in here, this is what we're going to break down from their actual language and see if we can make sense of what this is saying. So let's look first and foremost at, at the wheel, the actual word, the wheel, which is in Hebrew is the word Ophan. And that's at least the name that's given to it is the word Ophan is what they call a wheel. All right, let's keep looking. Now let's look at the word sparkling barrel, because that was the description of the workmanship, if you will, or the, the, uh, the way they were described to be in their, in their appearance was like a sparkling barrel. Well, beryl is an actual precious stone. It's a um, it's a type of crystal that's mined from the earth. There's different types within the beryl family, at least that they've found so far. They're extremely rare and expensive. One of them's Bixbite, another one's aquamarine. That's one of the more expensive kind. Emeralds, morganite, and heliodor. In fact, um, the aquamarine that you're seeing, that lighter blue color, 
just, you know, if you found a piece of it, the size of like my hand, it would be worth about $50,000. So it's an amazingly rare gem that can be highly valued. And because these, this family of, of gemstone barrel, it puts off a lot of light. It's very beautiful, more beautiful than the, this picture is representing here on the computer screen. But if you were to see them in real light, they reflect and cast light off of them. And then like a glow, they're really beautiful. And so this is what the comparison is with these quote unquote wheels, these old fawns that Ezekiel is looking at, and it's being compared to, to the glow of them being like sparkling barrel, which is, which is a compliment in all regards, but it's, it's a, uh, it's something to consider. We're going to keep moving real quick because we got some more to go through. It says now the next phrase that we're looking in, and we're going to look at the Hebrew beside all these words and phrases. Okay. So this is the one that it says, the workmanship being as if it was one wheel were within another. So this is a key point of description that people go off of to try to create the imagery that we've already seen. So let's look in the Hebrew. This is the word used for the word midst. Okay. And this is Tavek. And it's uh, basically to say that one thing was in the midst of another thing, basically, or it was surrounded around, or it was in the company of, okay. So it's in the midst of the next one we're going to look at is the word rims. And this is where it gets really interesting because in, well, I'm sorry, all of it's interesting to me, but this is where the actual digging into the, the language translations where it seems interesting. Because remember, guys, there's a difference in interpretation and translation. And interpretation is you read the same text that's translated already, and you come to a different understanding of what that could mean or how it could apply. A translation is where two different people are translating the same uh, the same language into their language. And sometimes you get variances of how they translate it into their language. Okay. And that's where you've heard the term lost in translation. Sometimes some things can get lost in translation because they don't carry their original meaning as well as they could. This right here is a prime example of the translators long time ago, establishing a translation for this Hebrew word that they call the rims. And then subsequent translators after them apparently never questioned it because what it means in the Hebrew is the word back, right? So like this is the front of me and behind me is the back of me. So it means the word back. How would that make sense? Well, let's look at what it says in the sentence. And it says, as for their back, they were lofty and awesome. And the rims or the backs of all four of them were full of eyes round about. Okay. Very interesting. Let's just keep going real quick. The next thing we want to look at is the word eyes, right? Because the rims or the backs of them were full of eyes round about. And this is where you see a lot of strange artist depictions of, of um, these wheels with eyes all around them, right? And you're like, man, that's what is that? That seems strange because it looks like a hybrid. Like it looks like a mixture of like a cyborg mixture, a mixture of metal and flesh and tissue and living tissue. And this is not what we see in any of God's creation, but because of the limited misunderstanding of this particular sentence here that says, as for their backs or their rims, as for their backs, they were lofty and awesome. And the backs of all four of them were full of eyes round about. So they think that it's a wheel and on the rims of it, which is the outer edges, there's all these eyes around it. And so you get this depiction artistically of a metal wheel shape with another wheel inside of it, as we've seen with eyes all around it, which is nothing we see in creation. And nowhere in the scriptures have we ever seen the father make any physical, biological 
creation that is mixed with metal. So the metals of the earth and the metals, uh, the things that are made of metal or wood or stone, they're never alive. So what it's actually describing or what people are depicting from this misunderstanding of their dis of this description is actually a form of idolatry. There's never anything that is inanimate that has life in it. It's always a biological creation of the father that has life in it. So that's something that to me throws up a huge red flag. But as I look into the Hebrew of these words, it starts to become clear where their misunderstanding is and why the artist depictions of their misunderstanding look so far away from everything else we see in scripture as far as what the father has created. So let's look at the eyes. This is the word ein in Hebrew. And it's used differently in the same book of Ezekiel. In fact, in the same chapter, chapter one, it's actually the same word we already we had read earlier. And it's looks for it's a word that can be used for the gleam or the sparkle. So it's that's pretty wild, right? Because it's telling us that the word that they used earlier, when we looked at the gleam or the sparkle, uh, that was like barrel, that that is the same word, ein, to describe the barrel that we see now being used and called a literal eye, like in your head and your skull. And that's where you get the strange depictions of what's going on. But is that the, the contextually sound translation of that word? We'll keep going. Keep that in mind, okay? So next we want to look at, this is actually um, something I wanted to show and just give a quick, quick commentary. This is some, the, you know a star being seen with a high telephoto lens and optical zoom. And we can see it looks like a wheel within a wheel that's turning with a gleam and sparkle round about it. So we do see things in creation, in nature, that have a unique design to it, but they're not metal, and they're not mixed, as far as we can tell, with biological flesh of any kind. Now, the luminaries are described in Scripture in the Book of Enoch to be its own class of angelic creation, but they're actually not angelic, excuse me, not angelic creation, but their own class of creation, but they all are uh, coordinated and overseen by actual angels. So this is a, again, we have, we have a description in the, in the creation of stars that, and with our natural eye or not natural eye with our, with our, um, enhanced view from a, a high powered, uh, camera, we can look up into the firmament and see the stars and it looks like it's turning. It looks like there's a wheel within a wheel, and it looks like it's gleaming and sparkling roundabout. It's very beautiful, right? So, what's but let's keep going because this is again where people they kind of get off on. We've already went through several different descriptors, different words within this little passage that we're looking at, and people can definitely get confused on what they're seeing. Um, but let's keep let's keep digging through the text here in Ezekiel chapter eight verse two. We see another use. When it says of the word ein as the color of, and it says, Then I beheld and lo a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins, even downward fire, and from his loins, even upward as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. And this is Ezekiel in chapter eight, again, having another vision where an angel comes up to him and there's more communication. And he's describing with the same look, right, with the same concept of this color of amber that he's seen. So it's a word that can be used to be described in various ways. But for some reason, when it comes to Ezekiel chapter 1, the word is used to describe physical, literal eyeballs 
inside of a metallic thing. But is that what the actual Hebrew says? Let's keep going. So the next thing we're going to look at is the phrase, the spirit of the living beings. And we're going to look at the Hebrew in that as well. So it says, this is actually the word Kai, which is the word that's used for the, this, they translate into the phrase, the spirit of the living being. So that's one word they've created an entire phrase on when they translate it into the English. The reason for that is because they are, they've come to that conclusion because of their previous conclusions from the words that we've already looked at. So is that what it's describing? That there's these angels, what they're called the living creatures, next to them are these big wheels that have the quote-unquote spirit of the living being inside of them with eyes all around it, spinning inside of each other and glowing. Is that what it's really describing? Let's keep going, okay? First Enoch 61, 10 through 11. And he will summon all the hosts of heaven and all the holy ones above and the host of God and the cherubim, the seraphim, and the ophanim. Guys, this is the same word, ophan. And all the angels of power and all the angels of principalities and the elect one and the other powers on the earth and over the water. And on that day, they shall raise one voice and bless and glorify and exalt in the spirit of faith and the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of patience and the spirit of mercy and the spirit of judgment and peace, the spirit of goodness. And shall all say with one voice, blessed is he and may the name of the Lord of spirits be blessed forever. So we're looking at all the living beings, the angelic style living beings in heaven, including the elect one, that's Yeshua. In heaven, for a moment, they all stop. And this is after the day of the Lord. And they all stop and they praise the Father. They all bless the Lord of Spirits. That's the heavenly Almighty, the Father. That all of them, for a moment, take a moment to shout with their voice. And the Ophanim are a part of this. Does a wheel stop? Ophanim, by the way, if you're not familiar, the word the I am is the plural form in a Hebrew word. So that's why it would be just the word Ophan, but because there's multiple ones, it uses the word Aim, and that's how it was translated from the Enochian passage. Therefore, it's multiple Ophan. Is it talking about wheels? Does it say right here that there's the cherubim, the seraphim, and then the wheels? No. It says class of angels. Let's keep going. First Enoch 71, 5 through 7. And he translated my spirit into the heaven of heavens, and I saw there, as it were, a structure built of crystals. And between those crystal tongues of living fire, and my spirit saw the girdle which girt that house of fire. And on its four sides were streams full of living fire, and they girt that house. And round about were seraphim and cherubim and ophanim. And these are they who sleep not and guard the throne of his glory. We have more descriptions of the ophan, the ophan as an actual living angel because in this point not only has he shouted in the previous verse but now we know that he doesn't even sleep it's beautiful right so let's go to ezekiel 10 13 real quick because we're actually going to be another mistranslation of the word ophan leans lends into a ridiculous passage that does not make sense under this translation but makes perfect sense under the idea that it's an angelic being that's what by the way, most of most of us are aware, if you've studied any amount of Hebrew, that the word Adam is also the word for man. And just like uh, the word for soil would be the word Adamah, right? But the way it's used throughout Scripture, many times in a, in a very vague sense, it will use the word in Hebrew, speaking of mankind, it will just say man. But in the Hebrew, it uses the word Adam, Adam. But yet Adam was also the actual name of the first man. Do you see how that works? Just like Yeshua is a word for salvation, 
but yet it's also the name of a man. So this is where you have the, you know, it, the word Ofan, yes, it can be used for a wheel, like a chariot wheel, like it, it does in some context, but it's also the actual qualifying descriptor name, like a seraphim or the cherubim. It's also the type of angelic class. Now, these specific Ofan that are beneath in Ezekiel 1, beneath this, this firmament-like thing under the throne of God next to these other angels, this these guys they're spoken to in chapter 10 and they're actually given a different specific name for their position and what they do for the Lord almighty. So here it is in Ezekiel 10, 13, it says, as for the wheels, that's the Ophanim, as for the Ophanim, it was cried unto them hearing, excuse me, cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel. <laughs> okay. So that's, again, this is why it's funny because you're like, wait a minute, why why would God look at these wheels if they truly are wheels and they're not angelic beings? Why would he look at these wheels and he would go, oh, wheel? <laughs> it's it's funny. And it reminds me of this in uh, the Anchorman. I love carpet. I love desk. Brick, are you just looking at things in the office and saying that you love them? I love lamp. Do you really love the lamp, or are you just saying it because you saw it? I love lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> That's great. So essentially, you know, it's like lamp. I love lamp, right? So that this is what we're to expect that because of the people translating the word Ophan and not having to, uh, not ha the previous translators not understanding the book of Enoch, that we already have a definition for the word Ophan, and they think it means wheel every single time. So then they come into Ezekiel chapter one and chapter 10 and chapter eight, and they're suddenly calling these, you know, that the, they think the father is shouting out to the wheel, a wheel. No, if we look in the actual Septuagint and we see what he shouts out to them, and it says in, in uh, the Septuagint, these wheels were called the Galgal in my hearing, right? And if we look even deeper to get a better description uh, from different translations of the Galgal from the Septuagint, from the Greek, we see in the Vulgate, from the, the Latin Vulgate from the fourth century, that it says, and these wheels were called voluble, right? Which is the, the actual def, um, English word for the Greek transliterated word of Galgel. What does that even mean? Rotating, spinning, churning, like a whirlwind almost. These ophanim were spinning and turning and rotating because that was their job. Do you remember what we read from the actual Ophanim back up here. Remember what we read? Now, I looked at the living beings. Behold, there was one Ophan on the earth beside the living beings, each for each of the four of them. The appearance of the Ophan and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel. And all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one were in the midst of another, right? As if one angel Ophan was in the midst of another. Right. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without turning as they moved. So they're rotating with the the um, the awesomeness that's around them. And they're not turning. They're not like a wheel that's turning, but they're moving in different directions without actually turning their body. They're just going like left and right, back and forth because they they stay front. They stay mo still in a sense, but they're moving, but their their faces and their bodies don't turn. It's kind of unique. It says, as for their rims, what is that? Their backs? Well, what did we talk about? Are these angels? 
that's what we the angels with wings, right? So their backs were lofty and awesome. And the backs of all four of them were full of what? Physical eyes? What does that word mean? Sparkling gleam? The appearance of? Their backs of all four of them were full of a gleam all round about. This is the glory that's, that's you know, the, the Father Spirit dwelling in them and exuding out and off of them, right? This heavenly glow, what we receive... Uh, referred to as the light of immortality, like, for example, in the various passages, 1 Thessalonians 5, um, 8, and different places. So this is what we see exemplified in angels all the time when they show up. And so this is the vision that Ezekiel's seen, and it's consistent with all the other visions we see of angels as well, as they have a glory about them, right? Now, whenever the living beings rose, the wheels moved with them. Whenever the living beings, these other creatures that are there, and these Ophan are next to them, they move in tandem together. And this is whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the Ophan, the Ophanim, rose also. And that's what it's explaining them. It says, because the Kai of the the Kai, the spirit of life, was in the Ophanim. You see what I'm saying? The whole thing is just trying to tell you there's these other angels that are there. So this depiction is not correct. I'm going to show you a depiction that I, you know, had some crude photoshopping. I did it, and I tried to make a better depiction of something here in a minute, and I'll show you what that is. It's not going to be these wheels inside. It's not going to be this strange apparition um, that looks like something straight out of the occult. Okay, it's going to look something more like we see that's described about the Father's heavenly hosts all throughout the rest of the prophets. So let's look at... Um, this guy right here, we don't ascribe to Mahamani's and every, anything he teaches, okay? But the point is, this was a, a um, this was an ancient uh, Jewish rabbi, and he actually lists the Ophanim as the closest of angels to God in his exposition of the Jewish angelic hierarchy. So even 900 years ago, a guy who was closer to the original Hebrews than we were, he claims that the Ophanim... They're just angels of God, just like Enoch did, right? So we have a little bit of historical consistency, but also, like I say, it's just a bad, bad translation into English from modern translators of from Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. Now, in Ezekiel 10, we see it saying this. These are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kabar, so I knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces and each one four wings, and beneath their wings was the form of human hands. As for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I'd be held by the river Chibar. Each one went straight ahead. So now he's just, he's not describing the Ophanim, but he's just describing the cherubim that he saw next to the Ophanim, just like we saw the descriptions in Enoch 61 and 71. So he's describing just the cherubim and how they had four wings, which means they have a total of eight. So they have four sets of wings. And this is why the reason I'm pointing this out, because many people are seeing this right now and you're probably asking, but wait, Sean, is this what about what about uh, you know, Revelation five? Is that the same thing as those living creatures? No. What we saw here, um, what we saw in the actual uh, idea of this depiction here of this moment is equal chapter one and chapter 10 with this firmament layer between the throne and the angels. This is a mobile throne. OK, <laughs> think of like um you know, this is like the father's grand uh, chariot, right? This is him, you know, leaving the throne of heaven and moving around and doing stuff within his realm. But what we're seeing in the book of Revelation, chapter five, is we're seeing the actual um, 
throne room itself. Okay, so there's a totally different scenario and context, and that's actually the same description of the living creatures from Revelation chapter four and five that have three sets of wings instead of four sets of wings. They're different living creatures, and those are also explained to us in Apocalypse of Abraham. I think it's um, I th I think it's chapter nineteen. I could be wrong, but the point is there's consistency in the descriptions of those living creatures the ones that are around the throne in the temple of God and the state in the, you know, the throne of God. But what we're seeing in Ezekiel one and 10 is like a mobile throne. Okay. And so there's a difference in the living creatures, but the Ophanim are described as the same. So this is the uh, living creatures that are actually described in revelation four in the apocalypse of Abraham. These are the, the statues that were created inside Solomon's temple that have the three sets of wings that cover them. Whereas the ones being described in Ezekiel one and 10 have four sets of wings. They're totally different. Um, so here is the traditional depiction from people's bad translations and not looking at the Hebrew and not understanding the book of Enoch. Here is something I photoshopped to give you a better, you know, uh, crude idea of what maybe Ezekiel was seeing was additional angels next to um, they, that are called Ophanim with glory round about them, right? With a sparkle gleam round about them and that they're a part of this system that moves the mobile throne of the father and this is beautiful in my opinion so this is part of context is that we look for definitions of words and sometimes you know especially in the modern age we have the opportunity to go and study the the original languages of a text and cross and cross compare so that's why i said at the beginning this one was a this one was a little different a little bit of a challenging text to dig into because i, I had to go i had to compare the Hebrew and the Septuagint and then different translations over time of the Septuagint and then look for historical commentary on these ideas uh, from the past and what they thought. And so it wasn't just simply, you know, reading the surrounding context of Ezekiel chapter one that gave me any better of a clue of what it was talking about, because the translator took that bad translation at the beginning of Ezekiel one, which is the beginning of the book and carried it forward through the rest of the book because he'd already made his mind up what he thought it was. But clearly the, the modern translators of Ezekiel were not comparing other books in Scripture, nor were they comparing the book of the first Enoch. Otherwise, they would have a very clear, easy answer for them. So ultimately, I hope this has been a blessing to you guys, uh, because I'm going to put this back up on screen here again, um, because I think personally, this is a much more encouraging, beautiful depiction of our father's mobile throne <laughs> which also gives us an idea of what in Enoch 61 and 71 of what the father's throne looks like in, in his throne room, right? In the actual uh, temple of heaven, the one that was girt with fire all around about it. So it's not these strange mechanical half Android, you know, half biological, half metal wheels that are floating around that have tons of um, uh, symbology within the occult. Like it's not that at all. <laughs> It's his angels that he created in Jubilees chapter two, two, all the hosts of heaven he created on day one. And they're up there glorifying and blessing him and extolling him. And they're filled with glory and beauty around about them because the, the spirit of God, the spirit of life is within them and exuding out of them. It's a beautiful picture in my, in my understanding. So I hope this blessed you. I hope that this was, um, 
something you enjoyed guys if you haven't already go subscribe to our kingdom cast it's our separate channel here on the it's on my channels uh, recommended here on, on the playlist or you can go go to the youtube search bar and go kingdom cast that's where we put up our podcasts and we're trying to get that up to a thousand subscribers and also we started a new media channel called new jerusalem media you can do that you can search that in the youtube search bar and it'll take you to that or you can look at it on my recommended channels on this on this channel and uh, please subscribe to those as well. We're trying to build those up as different outlets as part of our ministry effort for Kingdom in Context. And like, share, and subscribe to this video. We really appreciate you, and we hope to see you again um, sooner than later <laughs> as we complete uh, my next video concept for Morning Cup of Context is to complete part two of my Identity Crisis Averted series. So we thank you. Have a blessed day.